The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. All right, happy weekend, everybody. I hope you're having a great uh, weekend. It's beautiful here in Southern California. Uh, where I'm broadcasting this uh, for the Blaze, I got to I got to visit the Blaze uh, on uh, on Wednesday this last week and got to uh, got to meet a lot of the people whose voices I know or whose names uh, I know. So that was that was a blast. Uh, and Glenn has you know Glenn Beck has this, these amazing amazing facilities in Dallas. So uh, really a lot of fun uh, to be there and a lot of fun meeting everybody and. Uh, Lots of cool stuff planned for the future, so uh, we'll keep working hard, and uh, hopefully you guys, uh, you know, you guys can help. Share the program, uh, let people know about it, and uh, call in. And you can call in today, 888-900-3393. Happy, really, really happy to uh, hear from uh, from any of you. Uh, we're going to be talking about a number of different things, I think. We're going to uh, start off with talking about uh, Amazon. Uh, and uh, the threats that Amazon is facing right now from the Justice Department for the FCC, but also from just there seems to be kind of a public backlash against Amazon. Amazon is now the new high-tech villain uh, of the day, so uh, should be interesting uh, Interesting to hear your thoughts. What do you think? What's your experience with Amazon? You, you're an Amazon fan. You uh, skeptical. You're afraid of Amazon. They're going to take over the world. They're going to control everything. They're going to be everywhere. Oh, you like, hey, they've made my life better. I don't really care. Uh, so, yeah, give me a call. Uh, let me know your thoughts on um, on Amazon, uh, 888-900-3393. Uh, we're also going to talk about Charlie God, uh, this this uh, unfortunate, you know, really sad case of this young um, young kid in, uh, in England. And... Uh, you know everything around that, the whole hoopla around around that, the demonstrations. There are no threats to his, to to doctors' lives and to uh, to the hospital administrators' lives. Um, a lot going on around the Charlie Good. I guess there's a there's a new specialist over there from the U.S. trying to decide if if any treatment would be appropriate. The, the parents have received U.S. Uh, temporary residency, I guess, so they can bring uh, bring Charlie to the U.S., uh, you know, just a whole hoopla. Does it make any sense? Is it justified? Uh, why? Why? Why is there so much attention being placed in this case? We'll, we, we will talk about that, and then we'll see. The Democrats have a new uh, economic plan that they're going to reveal tomorrow, uh, and uh, we've just got some hints about what that relates to, so we'll talk a little bit about that, and uh, and a bunch of other things, you know, uh, uh, there's tons and tons to talk about. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the show. And uh, again, feel free to call in and uh, share any thoughts you might have. All right, Amazon, right? And, and Amazon is, um, the Democrats have been spending the whole week this week attacking Amazon and uh, claiming Amazon is gaining too much, I guess, market share, too much power. You know, Amazon has just bid to buy, not bid, actually, announce the purchase of Whole Foods. How many of you have been in, uh, inside of Whole Foods? They're going to purchase Whole Foods. Whole Foods has a small percentage of the grocery market in the United States, 
but it's just one more area in which Amazon, um, people are, are afraid, I think more emotionally than anything else, that Amazon is going to dominate our lives. They're going to sell us groceries. They already sell us pretty much everything else. So, you know, it started off with books and CDs, and now, now they're selling us clothes and everything. I mean, what can't you find on, on the Amazon store? Of course, they've also got Alexa. We'll talk about Alexa in a little bit. You know, Alexa that sits in a home, you can talk to it. Or as some would say, it's spying on you. Um, and uh, so they're, they're dominant. They, they just announced the deal with Sears, where uh, Sears will be sending, uh, selling the Kenmore appliances line through Amazon. Uh, so again, everybody's everybody's afraid, and indeed the shares of uh, uh, people like uh, uh, Home Depot and Lowe's went down quite a bit uh, because now Amazon's going to be competing with them on appliances at least. Uh, uh, in the past, uh, Home Depot and Lowe's have uh, been deemed safe from Amazon because, you know, you're not going to go and buy lumber from Amazon and not going to buy kind of the big stuff that, that Home Depot and Lowe's kind of the, the, the home repair kind of stuff. But why not? Isn't that coming? You know, so people realize, ooh, maybe Amazon can can compete with these guys. So their shares have gone down. Uh, some of those, um, uh, some of that, uh, some of those guys uh, are, uh, are taking a hit financially. But, but you know, the idea now is to try to sick the, uh, the Justice Department on... Um, uh, on Amazon because it's uh, it has uh, become such a dominant and such a uh, so-called monopolistic force out there. So that's uh, in addition the FCC, the F FTC, sorry FTC, the Federal Trade Commission has opened up an investigation about um, about Amazon in terms of discount pricing that they are reporting. So the prices they report and then they compare to, we're cheaper, we've got a discount. And they're saying those prices are rigged, those prices are not true, they're not right. So just another another way in which the government wants to come in and regulate and control and um, you know tell Amazon how to do their how to do their job, how to do their business. So on every front right now, Amazon seems to be under siege and primarily, well, not under siege, it's not that bad yet, but under criticism, massive criticism by the media, by commentators, and, and the government's clearly looking at them. This whole Whole Foods um, deal is leading to the fact that, uh, you know, the government is looking at it. Why? Because every merger and acquisition today in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, every merger and acquisition in America, every significant one anyway, has to get approval from your local bureaucrat. Actually, not from your local bureaucrat, from your, well, to some extent, the local bureaucrats have something to say about it. States states can file against some of these mergers in certain cases. But your, your Washington, D.C.-based bureaucrat has to approve every significant, large merger and acquisition deal in the United States. Now, now just think about that. The bastion of capitalism, the country that represents free markets more than any country in the world, you need to get permission, if you're Amazon, from the government if you want to buy Whole Foods. Amazon has does not have more than 50% market share. It actually has much less than that in any area. 
it, it does not do, uh, you know, a significant amount of online sales. I mean, it's the biggest player by far, but it doesn't dominate it in the sense of more than 50%. Uh, Whole Foods is a tiny player in the grocery market. Doesn't matter. You still need government bureaucrat permission for the merger. And, and, and some people want to tell me and you and all of us that America is a capitalist country. In capitalism, you don't need government permission to do a merger and acquisition. You, you want to buy a company, you offer them a price, their shareholders go cool, and you buy the company. Not in America, not in 2016, not anymore. You need a stamp of approval for some bureaucrat to make the deal kosher, to make the deal okay. It, it really is, uh, you know, stunning, really really is quite stunning uh, that, uh, that this is the state of the world in which we live today and, and, and this is how it functions, but nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to bat an eye. This is one of the issues, really, that the fact that, you know, everybody takes it for granted today. Everybody takes it for granted that the government can go after any business, that they can challenge any business model, that they can challenge any takeover. You know, and, and it's completely okay for the government to do. This is the job of the government. The government is there to protect our so-called economic interests. The government is there to protect us from evil business. The government is there to centrally plan to some extent, one extent or another, how the U.S. economy functions and how the U.S. economy runs. And that today is taken for granted by Republicans, by Democrats. You know, they argue about the at the margin. Oh, we shouldn't apply antitrust here. We should apply it there. But they don't actually argue any kind of principle. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When I get back, I want to talk about what antitrust is, what's its history, how it's been applied in the past. I want to talk about the famous Microsoft case, but also some other cases, Standard Oil and others, because the fact is that one of the biggest criticisms on capitalism is always, but there'll be monopolies, and monopolies are bad, and monopolies are evil. So we'll talk about whether monopolies are bad, whether monopolies are evil, and does antitrust really protect us? Does it do more harm than good? What is the role of antitrust law, and what would happen to the pure capitalism? Then I want to get back to Amazon, because I have to admit, I'm a little biased. Not biased, because I'm completely objective about this. Amazon is one of the coolest companies ever to exist on the face of the earth. And to some extent, Amazon of today is the Sears of yesterday, and it's uh, it's kind of interesting in that context that Amazon is driving Sears out of business. This is exactly what happens, the beauty of capitalism. But we'll get to all of that. All right, you can join the conversation uh, by calling in. Uh, what are your views on Amazon? What are your views on antitrust? Um, any companies you hate that you want to sick the federal government on? Let me know. Uh, you're listening to Iran Brook Show, and we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to The Blaze. Best-selling author, prolific media contributor, PhD in finance. This is the Iran Brook Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Right, this talking, is the Yaron uh, Brook Show. All right, we're talking uh, Amazon today. We're talking uh, 
We're talking antitrust, broader than just Amazon, but Amazon is in the crosshairs right now of the Justice Department. They are after. They are after Amazon. They want. They want blood. Uh, at least the Democrats do. We'll see if the Sessions uh, Justice Department actually follows through. Sessions is pretty bad on these economic issues, so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something coming out of it, but we'll see. We'll see. I think people at the AFTC might be a little better than they were under the Democrat regime. Um, all right, we, we've got uh, Dan from New York calling, so we're going to take this call, see what, he, what Dan has to say about antitrust. Hey, Dan. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How about you? Great. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was just going to say, I've been, I've been in pharmaceutical sales since 2006, and I actually was a part of a very large merger of two companies. I can name them if you want, but it was very interesting to see how it worked. Um, you know, it was up to the companies to do what they want to do. I didn't have anything to, you know, against it, and I'm not against that kind of stuff like you just mentioned before. It's free market. Sure. People decide to do what they want to do, what works best. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, then they won't be, you know, maybe they won't be as uh, as much market share yep. in that business if it's not a good idea. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, many, many mojos fail. And, and I'd say, you know, the success rate in mojos, particularly big mojos, is very low. Uh, you know, it's far more often that companies overpay and don't realize how difficult it is to actually merge companies, merge product lines, merge the business stuff, the, you know, all the technical aspects of it, merge the corporate cultures. Very, very, very difficult. But what the government has any business in this, I don't get. What, what, what interest is there? Um, wh why do I care if Amazon merges with Whole Foods? I mean, I might care if I'm a customer of one of them and I worry that this might distract them from giving me good, um, good service, but I'm not entitled to any particular level of service. I'm not entitled um, to anything as a customer. You know, I choose to, to, to shop there or I don't choose to shop there. I can leave and go shop somewhere else. Right. And the thing is, you, it was interesting what you just said, because when we were part of the merger, the company that I was originally with, that I was with first, who was buying up for the company already had, I think they owned around 30% of the market of the, I mean, of that company and they're taking the rest over. And it happened after the market crashed in 08. So the value of that company was down significantly. They did not want to be bought out at a cheaper price. And then they, it became a hostile takeover kind of, you know, so it went a little bit, you know, it's yeah. more of a, you know, fisticuffs of, oh, what are we worth? What should we be worth? Well, the market's down, so you're not worth as much as you would have been before. And definitely the culture was different because one uh, company was uh, international and another company was based here. And I was with a company that was international, even though I worked yeah. here. But you yeah. could see definitely the cultures definitely had some friction on how things were done and it, how things were communicated down the line. So that, I would say, is sure. Why would government want to get involved either way? Because they wouldn't know the insights. I'm not saying this in a better way, but I would probably have more insights than the employees would then. But it's nobody's business, right? I mean, companies, uh, corporations owned by their shareholders. If the shareholders want to take, uh, you know, the risk involved in doing a merger, as you said, uh, it's difficult. As, as I said earlier, it's difficult. It's hard to do. It's not easy. Uh, but that is a risk that companies are doing in the name of their shareholders. And if they lose, the shareholders lose. You and I have no say, have no, the company has no fiduciary duty towards us in terms of, in, in terms of whether it merges or doesn't merge and so on. And the government has zero to say about this. It's not the government's job to tell businesses how to run their business, to tell business how to treat their customers, to tell business 
what kind of mergers to do and what mergers work and what mergers doesn't. The, you know, let's talk a little bit. Thanks, Dan. I really, I really appreciate the call. Because let's thank you. Let's talk a little bit about why it is the government intervenes. I mean, the government intervenes because of this law called the antitrust law, and the, the, you know, there are many uh, the the primary. Uh, law here was a law passed, I think, in 1890 called the Sherman Act, uh, and it was followed up in 1914 by the Clayton Act, and then by the uh, the creation of the Federal Trade Commission Act, which the Act created the Federal Trade Commission in 1914, and the Federal Trade Commission is supposed to monitor trade and, and monitor these uh, the well trade internally in the U.S. So monitor the behavior of corporations is supposed to monitor um, uh, mergers and acquisitions. It, I would say that these three acts, 1890, 1914, are the original uh, anti-capitalist, anti-free market, anti-business legislation that passed in the United States. In a sense, 1890, with the passage of the Sherman Act, was the beginning of the end of American capitalism. I mean, there were real problems with capitalism even before that in the sense that in capitalism, as it was practiced in America, in the sense that government was intervening, even back then, of course, we had slavery, which is very anti-capitalist, but but we had subsidies of the railroads, we had all kind of cronyism related to the railroads. But other than that, you know, from the Civil War to 1890, government pretty much left kept its hands off of American business. There, there was regulation of banking, there were regulations, but as compared to today, it was almost free market heaven, almost. And then 1890, they passed this law. Why did they pass the law? Because they're afraid that these big businesses, steel companies, uh, uh, railroads, will come to dominate their industry. And what will happen, so they're afraid of the economic power that these businesses will have over the U.S. economy, that they will be so dominant that they will raise prices and the quality will go down. I'll give you an example. During the 1870s, Standard Oil, J.D. Rockefeller's oil company, had 90, I think it was 92% of all the oil refining capacity in the United States. 92%. So we said, oh my God, there's a monopoly and he's dominating. And all these books were being written, mudrucking it was called, about how awful this is and how destructive it is to the economy and how... A destructive for everything that's going on in the U.S., and this was anti-American. And Congress responded to, to, to this hysteria, and it responded bypassing the Sherman Act and bypassing the Sherman Act in, in an attempt to regulate and ultimately to break up the large businesses like Standard Oil, like U.S. Steel. Now, the fact is, during the reign of, of Standard Oil, having over 90% of all the oil refining capacity in the United States, prices went down every single year. Quality went up every single year. But, you know, we don't want facts to, to obscure the, uh, the good intentions of government, right? Uh, they were trying to what? They, 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 they presented it as trying to protect us from those evil capitalists, from those evil monopolists. All right, you're listening to your own book show. We'll be right back. On the Blaze Radio Network.
The Yaron Brooks Show. All right, so we're talking antitrust today, pretty technical economic issue, but always the issue that people raise when they want to attack capitalism and the issue that the government uses to control business like no other one. Um, whether it's collusion, whether it's dumping, you hear Donald Trump talking about dumping all the time, whether it's monopolies, government is using these tools, these tools that the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act and, and uh, the FTC, the creation of the FTC in 1914 made possible in order to dramatically regulate and control business, regulate and control you know, what business does, how business does it, and um, is, is it justified? So my view, the only role of government, the only role of government is to, to defend the individual rights of Americans, to protect us from force and fraud. And there is no force and fraud being applied to us if companies collude. There is no force and fraud being applied to us if a, um, you know, if there is, uh, if a company has 92% share of, uh, you know, of its business. What force and fraud is it? You don't have to buy from that company. You don't have to engage with that business. Economic power, the power of a company, is not the same as political power. Political power is the power of a gun. Political power is about coercion and about force. Right? Economic power is, is the power, right? Is the power to give you a better service. It's the power to negotiate. It's the power, it's a voluntary power. It's you get to decide. So we confuse economic and political power all the time. And it's wrong for the government to intercede. It's wrong for the government to intervene, to try to dictate how much market share I should have, whether I should have 90% market share, 50% market share, 20% market share. And it's none of their business. There's no rights being violated. There's no force being applied. All right, so the whole issue of antitrust is an issue of the government trying to pretend or imagining or trying to convince us that our voluntary decisions are not legit, are not justifiable. And that what is required is a government oversight, a government central planner, somebody who knows better than we do about how business should be run, about what prices should be, about what products should be sold, about who should be able to merge with whom. And again, this goes back, back way back to the 1890s when they went after Standard Oil. Standard Oil was as close to what would, one would call a monopoly as one has ever achieved, 92% of all oil refining in the U.S. And yet, and yet, prices went down every single year. So there is a moral argument against antitrust, not the role of government. Even if the monopolist is abusing their power, 
which is very, very, very rare. I dare you to find me an example in history where monopolists actually abuse their power. You can call in and give me that example, 888-900-3393. Find me an example. Find me an example where a monopolist abused their power. 888-900-3393. But even if they did, even if they did, so what? You don't have a right to a particular price. You don't have a right to get particular goods. That's what private ownership means. I get to produce it. I get to set the price. You get to choose whether to buy from me or not. You don't want to buy from me? Don't. And if I raise my prices too high, and now we're turning to economics, what would happen if I raise, if I raise price too high? Competitors would arise. Competitors always arise. Always arise. So that's why monopolies never survive, so-called monopolies never survive in a free market. That's why market dominates never, dominance never survives in a free market. Not because of antitrust, not because of government, but because if you mistreat your customers, if you treat them badly, then cust customers will move to somebody else. A competitor will arise. All right, so um, that's the, that's the, uh, uh, and you can see this example after example. So get Standard Oil. By the time Standard Oil was broken up, you know, 40, 50 years after it had gained that 92%, what percentage did it have of the oil market? Less than 20. It was tiny. Why? Because in the meantime, competitors had entered the business and they were competed with it. You didn't need government to bring about the competition. All you needed is to leave the economy alone. Competition always arises because there's money to be made, particularly if a company gets lazy or has bad policies or does something that is not good for customers. So as long as they're not using coercion, as long as they're not putting a gun to your head and forcing you into their store, as long as they're not forcing you to buy their products, government has no business intervening. Con uh, uh, collusion, syndicates, whatever you want to call it, are just inefficient instruments. They break apart. Look at OPEC. They can't keep their members together. There's some wonderful stories. In the, um, in the early part of the 20th century about how Dow, from Dow Chemical, competed against German uh, chemical companies who were colluding, who had created a syndicate, and who had driven the prices of chemicals up in the United States. And what Dow did is he produced more efficiently, and he undercut their prices. So what did the Germans do? Because they had such a dominant, they were such dominant players, is they lowered prices called dumping, below the price that Dow was selling. And in order to compensate, because they, they were losing money, it was below their cost, they raised prices in Germany. So they were making more money in Germany, where they had, quote, a monopoly. And then they were, and by the way, they, I think it was a government protective monopoly, and they lowered prices in the U.S. to screw Dow. So what did Dow do? Dow bought up the chemicals in the United States from the German companies really, really cheap, at a price where they were losing money, shipped it to Germany, and undercut their price in Germany. 
<laughs> now, today you couldn't do it because of all the constraints and import and export and the regulations and all of that. You probably couldn't do that today. But in, in the early 20th century, before all these regulations, before all these controls, that's how Dow destroyed the German chemical cartel. And, and there are lots of stories like that, lots and lots of stories how American entrepreneurs under freedom destroyed so-called monopolies, destroyed so-called cartels, destroyed so-called so collusion, destroyed it when companies tried to dump. Right? Every time the Justice Department has gone after somebody for antitrust reasons, you can show that those companies were you know, it had actually been lowering prices, quality had been going up, there was nothing wrong, there was no problem. Same thing with Alcoa. You remember IBM? IBM during the 1960s, the Justice Department went after them because they monopolized the computer business through their mainframe business. How long did that last? Digital had those mini computers, and then you had the PCs, and even though the suit was filed in the 60s, by the 1980s, the Justice Department had to withdraw its antitrust suit because it was so ridiculous, because it was so pathetic, because it was so obviously the market had overtaken anything the government was afraid of. And now, now they're going after Amazon. All right, when we get back, I'm going to talk about why antitrust basically penalizes, potentially has the potential to penalize every business in America, why it's unjust, and we'll talk specifically about Amazon, why Amazon are heroic, why Amazon should be a company that's celebrated and not penalized. And I'll read some stuff that, that this one guy wrote about Amazon. It's just horrific. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Ron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Israeli military veteran and radical for capitalism. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Brooke. All right, so we're talking about antitrust. We're talking about Microsoft. Let me tell you a little bit about antitrust. Then we got a call from Skyler from Delaware. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, about antitrust. Uh, why antitrust is such a vicious, uh, vicious, vicious law. Think about it this way: every business in the United States could be prosecuted and under antitrust laws. And this is how, right? If you are um, if, if you are underpricing, if you are selling very, very low, below the cost of all your competitors, if your rate is lower than what your competitors is, then that's an antitrust violation. You must be dumping. You, you, it's, it's, it, it's not fair for you to, to try to steal market share by selling below supposedly your costs, right? So that's dumping. Right? And, and you hear dumping all the time. I mean, uh, uh, Trump is constantly complaining about steel dumping in this country and other. And, and uh, in the 80s, the Japanese were accused of dumping microchips. And, and we controlled microchips imports from Japan because they were dumping. What, what does dumping mean? They were selling them cheap. So it's a problem. It's a problem now when you sell stuff cheap. All right. What if you sell it expensive, like above the market price? 
Like you're making a nice, supposedly, again, you're making a nice profit margin and people are buying it and you're selling it above the market price. What does that say? Well, you must have a monopoly because otherwise, why would people buy your stuff so expensive? So now we go after you for monopoly, right? You have pricing power in a free market. You're not supposed to have pricing power. What happens if you sell exactly the same as all your competitors? You know, at the same price. Then you must be colluding. Then you must be colluding. So antitrust laws go after you whether you sell your product for cheap, expensive, or the same as everybody else. Now, part of this comes from a false view of competition. It's called perfect competition. If you studied economics, you might have studied this. It's this idea of perfect competition. Perfect competition is where all companies look exactly the same, have exactly the same information and knowledge, produce exactly the same product, and therefore none of them have any pricing power. Now, economists teach this as some kind of crazy ideal. It's not. It's insanity. Nobody wants to live in a world like that. What we want is companies to innovate, to create something special, to produce something better, to keep pushing the envelope. What we want is companies to strive to achieve monopoly power. Because what is a monopoly? In a sense, monopoly power, in quotes. What is a monopoly in that sense? It's some comparative advantage. Some competitive advantage. That's great. Every entrepreneur who ever started a business is trying to create a comparative advantage. He's trying to make money. He's trying to create a profit. Apple, part of its comparative advantage beyond the good products that it sells is the name Apple. We associate it with a certain type of product, with a certain type of experience. Amazon, you know what really blew away Amazon originally early on? Was the one click button. You found something you liked, you clicked once. You didn't have to keep putting on your, this is years and years ago. That was an incredible innovation that moved everything forward, but it gave Amazon a comparative advantage. And once it established that comparative advantage, once we put our credit card information in Amazon and we had this one click feature, even if other people established a one click feature, we'd still have to reestablish, give them our profile, give them our credit card number, it's all on Amazon already. I can go buy it on Amazon. I need to put that credit card information again into somebody else's website. Who wants to do that? But that's the whole point, is that these companies are constantly striving to try to give them, to, to, to figure out a comparative competitive advantage so that they can make money by providing us with great value and great service. And yet that comparative advantage is exactly what deems them so-called violators of antitrust. And that's what justifies the government going after them. Think about every startup. Think about every entrepreneur. Think about every new company. What is it striving to do? To create that comparative advantage. To create profit margin. To create an edge over all its competitors. To create something that the competitors can't do. So. A whole market works in exactly the opposite way to the so-called perfect competition model, and yet that is what's being taught. And that same perfect competition model, which is, which is one of the most destructive things that anybody teaches at universities today. The flip side of that is monopolies are bad. Monopolies raise prices. Monopolies 
reduced quality, even though there are no examples of that or, or almost no examples of that in history. That's what's being taught to our students. It's not surprising, all of this. All right, we're almost at a break. As usual, I've got more to say about this than we can cover in an hour. Um, we, will, uh, we will resume after this hard break. You're listening to your Ron Brooks show on the Blaze Radio Network. Applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs>